I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Vent Weekly. I'm Amelia. All our lives have been changed by COVID-19 and months in lockdown. Even with some restrictions starting to lift, the world still seems a very different place. The news is overwhelming and it's hard to know what to believe right now. So that's why we launched this mini-series of bonus episodes on Vent Weekly called COVID-19 Fact Checkers. If you're done with COVID-19, this mini-series might not be for you. But don't worry, we're still releasing our regular, non-corona-specific episodes every Wednesday. But if you do have questions or anxieties around COVID-19 that you want spoken about, we got you. This series, we're getting you answers. Hello, my name is Mariam and my question is, why is the UK death rate so high compared to other countries? And why did the UK government wait till things got so bad before preventing the spread of COVID in the first place? So today I'm joined by Mariam and Sam Knight, a staff writer for the New Yorker magazine who's been writing about the UK's response to the pandemic from the outset. And we're also joined by Brent councillor Joshua Murray, whose area includes Church End, which alone has seen 36 deaths. So could you guys all introduce yourselves and just say a little bit about who you are, what you do, and how's lockdown been for you guys? Hi, I'm Mariam and I'm 19 years old and I just finished my A-levels and lockdown has been quite stressful because I have a lot more time to think about my results. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. Okay, well, I wish you the best of luck with that because it must have been so difficult studying during these times as well. I just finished my second year of uni and it's literally been like horror. Ugh, it's just been the worst. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Anyone else want to go next? Yeah, yeah, sure, I'll go. So my name's Sam. I write for The New Yorker, which is an American magazine. And so my job is to try and explain what's happening in Britain to primarily an American and an international audience. How's lockdown been? I guess the main thing about lockdown for me is that my wife gave birth to twins during oh, the lockdown. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Oh yeah, gosh. thank you. Everyone's okay. Uh, so it was it was intense, right? Wow. That's a lot, but I'm it's really, really happy to hear that something good has come of it <laughs> yeah, though, yeah. in honesty. For sure. But um yeah, now we can go on to Joshua. So do you want to tell us a bit about you? So hi, my name is Joshua Councillor Murray. I've been a councillor for the last six years. Uh, I first became a councillor when I was 21 years old. Wow. I had to remember that, even though I am not that old. Um, I'm actually 27. Yeah, really young to be a councillor. That's great. So I literally was finishing off my last exams for university and then I had to go back down on election day and I won by 19 votes. It was in Norfolk Park Ward. And the reason why I became a councillor in the first place is because, one, I was terrible at football. <laughs> my mum was like, Joshua, you can't play football, so go and canvas for Barry Gardner mm-hmm. um, and Barry Gardner still is the MP for Brent North. Yeah. Um, when my mum said I wasn't good at football, I was on the same team as Raheem Sterling at one point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's my claim to fame. I'm gonna I'm gonna shout and scream about it. Yeah. But, <laughs> but um, 
The main reason why I became a councillor is because I, I looked at the political world and I didn't see a lot of people like me. And, and mm -hmm. when you don't see people like you, then essentially it's difficult for people to relate. No, no, so no. I went for it and then I became a councillor in Halsden, which I am now. Been there for the last two years. Wow, you're only 27. That's that's a quite a quite an achievement to have like climbed totally. up the ladder as a black man as well, and now you're representing like a whole part of Brent. Yeah, that's so inspiring. <laughs> <laughs> it is inspiring. I just want to jump to Marion quickly and just ask you like, what motivated you to ask about this, and what are you hoping to find out? Um, so I sent that voice memo initially back in April when things were really, really bad. Yeah. And in that time, I knew so many people in my community who have been affected. They've either lost loved ones or had loved ones who are in critical condition. Right. So I was kind of angry at the time, thinking, why is the government doing this? Why are they waiting till things like get so bad before they decide to yeah. act on things? Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's it, it got me really angry, so I thought it would be worth discussing. And I understand your frustration as well, to be honest, because I feel like for for so long we watched other countries gear up and get ready. Yeah. And we were just kind of still here chilling, and I was thinking, what is taking them so long to act? But, Sam, obviously, you write about that. So how would you sum up the UK's response to the pandemic? Thanks for handing me that one. Um, <laughs> look, I'll, look, I'll, well. <laughs> look, I'll, look, I'll give this a go. This is a huge subject and everyone's going to have their own perspective on things. Right. This is the way that I think about this. This disease, it's a natural disaster, right? Every few years, every generation, a new disease comes alive, takes hold and spreads throughout the population. And these things are terrible, but they're not totally unexpected. Mm. You can look at the, the 2019 list of big threats facing this country. A global pandemic is kind of one of the main ones. Oh, really? And yet the British government seemed so slow to react. They just overlook it, yeah, it's just not a priority. And, and I think that when you start looking for explanations for that, on the small end of things, is that this country thought most about being prepared for an influenza pandemic rather than a coronavirus pandemic. And those are two different yeah. families of diseases. And this seems really mundane, but it seems to me it took the British government a long time to actually shift what it was doing from what it yeah. thought was coming to what was actually coming. Yeah. Things like this country did not have a testing infrastructure. We don't make a lot of the PPE. Uh, good afternoon. Um, Secretary of State, given we are several weeks behind Italy, Spain and other countries, and we know the impact this virus has on health workers. How have we found ourselves in a situation where we are dangerously low on PPE? Um, do you accept the worries of NHS doctors and nurses we've spoken to today that by downgrading your PPE guidelines, by not providing proper PPE, you are putting their lives at greater risk? And, you know, I did a, an interview a couple of weeks ago with Richard Horton, who's the editor of The Lancet magazine, who's been a huge critic of the government. And he says that one of the big problems underpinning this was, was a, a refusal of the British government, and that includes its scientists, which is uncomfortable, to really believe Chinese scientists. There was a kind of scepticism, they're probably doing it wrong. You know, this, just, this, this reluctance to kind of see what's on the end of your nose to try and reduce the peak, broaden the peak, 
not to suppress it completely. Also, because most people, the vast majority of people, get a mild illness, to build up some degree of herd immunity as well, so that more people are immune to this disease. And, and you might have heard of things like herd immunity, this idea right. that, oh, maybe we could style this out and loads of people will get it, and as long as we protect the most vulnerable, we can kind of take this on the chin. That was a catastrophic mistake mm. based on the wrong understanding of what this disease was. Could you, like, give us a brief definition of what herd immunity is and then kind of what you think about that strategy? The theory of herd immunity is that once you have enough people who've had the infection, that makes it much harder for the infection to spread because a lot of people will just will be immune to it and it won't take hold in their system. At the beginning, there was this question mark about how severe this illness actually was and would it just be a tiny minority of people that would develop serious symptoms mm -hmm. and then die. And so the government entertained this theory. But even at the time that this was discussed, there were a lot of alarm bells ringing mm -hmm. from those first clinical reports from China in January, suggesting right from the get-go that this was a very severe illness. Yeah. On January the 24th, 41 patients, 13 of whom are going to intensive care. You know, that's, that's a yeah. huge, huge number. That herd immunity idea, which, you know, the British government obviously turned away from it, but on the 8th, 9th of March, Italy shut down, right? Yeah. We waited two weeks. The government was still talking about herd immunity on the 12th, 13th of March. And it's important to recognise it's not to stop everybody getting it. You can't do that. It's not possible to stop everybody getting it. And it's also actually not desirable because you want some immunity in the population. We need to have immunity to protect ourselves from this in the future. And I'm afraid it, it cost the lives of tens of thousands of people. And that's it something did, that yeah. I think we're all struggling to digest. Yeah. That's highly insensitive, though. Like, we were essentially treated as lab rats for an experiment that we knew was going to fail. Mm -hmm. They shouldn't have ever seen herd immunity as an option. That's exactly what New Zealand did. Um, the Prime Minister, she completely rejected it from the get-go. She realised that she shouldn't be treating her citizens as statistical figures. They were very insensitive mm. for doing that. I agree with you. I feel like with herd immunity, there's not much that's been really considered by them. They haven't really listened to scientists and stuff when they've kind of spoken about how fatal this disease can be. There now follows a ministerial broadcast from the Prime Minister. Good evening. The coronavirus is the biggest threat this country has faced for decades. And this I mean, I'm interested to hear from you and Sam's point of view why you feel like we started lockdown later. From this evening, I must give the British people a very simple instruction. You must stay at home. Joshua, what do you think? So you've you got to look at Boris Johnson and, and the mistakes that he's made. But it comes down to this sort of ideological value, which is this strongman bravado, this strongman leadership, mm. which we've seen not just in the UK, but... COVID! COVID! In the USA... The specific COVID-19, Kung Flu... This sense of mentality that we men, we can, we can do whatever we, we want. Mm -hmm. a, a silly little flu like COVID can't keep us down. And if you look at some of the, the leaders around the world who have done excellent, you've got to look at Angela Merkel, who's done an incredible job, the president of Taiwan, um, prime minister of New Zealand, all done some mm -hmm. incredible jobs uh, in terms of protecting their country, protecting their nation. Well, and, and even if you look at what Boris Johnson did, Boris Johnson, uh, you, you, can, you can still see the clip on Twitter now. He's, he's like, I, 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 I'm shaking hands, continuously. 
I was at a I was at a hospital the other night where I think there were a few, there were actually a few coronavirus uh, patients, and I shook hands with everybody. Uh, you'll be pleased to know, and, and I continued to shake hands. And uh, and then uh, few few de- weeks later, he he got COVID himself. He was admitted to hospital for tests as a precaution only. Um, the latest from the hospital some of the is that the Prime Minister remains in intensive care. So that's how ridiculous this notion of being a strong man is. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's that Honestly, government just... arrogance that's so destructive. Yeah. Like, they think that they're invincible. Right. And you can see that that arrogance that they have is what caused Britain and America to, to just completely crumble. And th- even then, they still stand up on their feet and just, say, no, we're fine, yeah. we're fine, and pretend everything's fine. Yeah, yeah. And it's just annoying. It's just annoying. But yes, Sam, what do you think? This is not what Boris Johnson and his government were into or interested in. Mm. In a fundamental way, they did not want to hear this. Yeah. Boris Johnson is a kind of, he's a kind of good times guy. Mm -hmm. He doesn't like bad news. He doesn't like awkward challenges. He doesn't like detail. He doesn't like... Yeah, he's the leader of our country. So interesting. He was particularly ill-suited for this kind of... An event. Mm-hmm. And I think on a more profound level. Tonight, we are leaving the European Union. Brexit happened on January the 31st, which is basically the same day that coronavirus was declared a kind of public international health emergency. Two patients from the same family in England have tested positive for coronavirus. The first cases to be recorded in Britain. And I think there's something very essential to this Conservative government, that they think Britain is an exceptional place that can cut away from Europe, that can plant its own tracks in the world. This is the moment when the dawn breaks and the curtain goes up on a new act in our great national... We will have a test, track and trace operation uh, that will be world-beating. Everything's got to be a world-beating system. Honestly... There's all this kind of tub-thumping and nationalism around their conception of the world, which, if you're someone like me, just feels like an inaccurate reading of how our world actually is. We're completely connected. You know, the virus is almost like a metaphor for how going it alone is a nonsense. I feel like, like you said, he's really ill-fit to be a leader of something because from what I see with him, he's quite dismissive of stuff. And so I, I don't know whether that was more a deliberate thing or just down to his like basic carelessness but long story short i feel as though he like they completely failed us yeah yeah Um, i think the the strategy they were going for was thinking about the future rather than what is currently happening i think the one of the first things that were at the front of their mind was the economy and Mm -hmm. sort of the lives of other people was like a second thing that they would come into later when when things got really bad. What about you, Joshua? What do you think? Yeah. I think they they took a long time to get into lockdown because it it was very close to the end of year in terms of financials, and I think that's a key reason why. The government is very slow at moving um, and very slow at admitting they were wrong. Actually, they probably never admit that they're wrong, and that's, that's the issue. But... This time, their, their slowness and not admitting that are wrong caused the life of, of some of my residents, caused the lives of many people in, in the UK. Because no, when the wheels started turning, when the death toll started rising, they didn't even put the, the fact that people in the care homes wasn't on the list, so our, our country looked like we were doing re- really well. And then as soon as you look at it a little bit harder, you realise that 20,000-odd people have died in care homes. And that is ridiculous. Um, these are people's grandparents. These are people's loved ones. 
In the week the country went into lockdown, Dominic Cummings was seen hastily leaving number 10. Later it was confirmed that, like his boss, he had coronavirus. The very same day the Prime Minister appealed for people to follow the rules. Government officials as well have made terrible decisions. You look at Dominic Cummings and what he did. But Mr Cummings didn't stay at his home in London. Instead, he travelled more than 250 miles to see his elderly parents in County Durham. What he did was absolutely ridiculous. My wife was very worried, particularly given my eyesight had seemed to, seemed to have been affected by the disease. We agreed that we should go for a short drive to see if I could drive safely. Guess what? If anybody else made a mistake like that in their workplace, they would have got fired. Mr Cummings, you're going to consider your position, Mr Cummings? Obviously not. And it, it should have been a larger scandal than it was. Prime Minister, is your backing for Dominic Cummings unconditional? Or, if it does become clear that he's undermining compliance with public health messaging, are you prepared to revisit this decision? Uh, I'm, of course. Uh, no, I can't give any unconditional uh, backing uh, to anybody, but I do not uh, believe that anybody in Number 10 has done anything to undermine our, uh, our messaging. What we want to Dominic Cummings is allowed to go 300 miles, and yet my mother hasn't been able to, to hold her grandson for the last three months. Um, and when um, my residents have a block party because they've been in their houses for three months, we're talking about young people here, um, setting up something where there was no violence, um, and yet they're the ones that get targeted by the police, they're the ones that get targeted by the media. It seems like this COVID has highlighted the weaknesses of this country, the, the, the institutionalized racism within this country. And I think that's something that we all need to be aware of moving forward. This is the end of part one of a two-part conversation. Join us for part two, when we discuss how the high UK death rate has been felt especially hard here in Brent. Thank you for listening to Vent Weekly, bonus COVID-19 fact checkers. I've been Amelia. Thanks to Mariam, Sam, and Councillor Murray for joining me. This episode was produced by Rose Delarabiti with help from the Vent production team, Jess Lawson, Lucas Fothergill, and Maweed Majid. Vent is a collaboration between Vice and Brent London Borough of Culture 2020. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com.